Thank you for joining us today. You're listening to Crossing Cultures with Phil Metzger. You can connect with us on social media at Crossing Cultures or by visiting www.crossingculture.org. Today's episode is a rerun from season one of Crossing Cultures. Hester Phil interviews Nick Roach on the topics of race and the gospel. This show was recorded on June 10th, 2020, amidst strong racial tension in our country. We hope it encourages you and inspires you in your faith. So listen to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. To the Jew, I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak, I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And I do this for the gospel's sake, that I also might be a partaker with you. I I really feel like in this season that God's put all of us in, these are our theme verses. That we as God's people who are ambassadors of Jesus Christ on this planet, that we would esteem others above ourselves so that we could win them to Jesus Christ. Because no matter what else happens in this world, in this lifetime, we're here to help people know Jesus. Amen? And so our world's hurting right now, and it's so important to have gospel conversations on real-life issues. So I'm going to turn it over to you, Nick, to just kind of take us there. and, and Fix uh, all the problems. Yeah. So if you could fix everything <laughs> in the next 20 minutes, it'd be awesome. Got it. <laughs> so, but seriously, thanks, Phil. And this last week and a half has been really interesting for me. This is the first time in my whole black life of being reached out to consistently for either apologies, condolences. Hey, can you be a part of this conversation? So I guess what that tells me and all that I'm feeling and all that I'm hearing is uh, this is not like a passing thing. This is something that wherever you are in life and wherever you sit in your faith or this is a moment that will be something you will look back on your life and, and you will be able to look at what you participated in, what you missed, what you got to see. Um, this will be a memorable thing for all of us when the whole string of incidences took place. After, you know, after George Floyd's death, I remember sitting there and having conversations with friends and just being like, you know, the hardest part of it is having no idea where to start on how to just make it better. I mean, regardless of his color, regardless of any, you see an innocent person get murdered and you see it happen consistently and you're just like, yo, you know, there, there has to be something that I can do if I'm, if I'm professing this Holy Spirit filled faith that I can be a part of this to make it not that way, you know? So, you know, as the days go by, we end up, I end up downloading some thoughts just with friends in conversation. And, and really the last week for me has been a cycle of the same three ideas and they're, they're all really interconnected. And I think they're all really basic, but super, super profound and deep in a lifetime of work. (laughs) And I mean, specifically to the racial conversation for the sides, unfortunately saying sides, just the privileged group and the non-privileged group, whatever they may look like. I, the first thing that comes to my mind is a concern for maybe the people in a group like myself in an underprivileged group based on our appearance. If we're going to be ready for after years 
of, say, injustice, years of oppression, um, years of unfairness, to once now people are actually starting to listen if we are going to have something productive and usable to say for ourselves. Um, because we all know we've been in situations where you've been so angry for so long, when they actually, when the other person lets you talk, you just keep yelling. That that doesn't actually help the new future. And so I think about my people, and I'm I'm hopeful that the right people would be put in the pra- right in the right place at the right time to speak well for the type of future that we envision for ourselves. Um, because and even just biblically, you think about Israel, 400 years of slavery. And how long before they were asking to go back? You know, it was just like, there's, there's a newfound responsibility that comes with opportunity that an underprivileged group may not have access to understanding. You know, so I think our, our situation was a little unique because like Phil said, I played in the league for a long time. And just by default, you know, if you don't buy a car every week, you're going to have a lot of money at the end of the day. You know what I'm saying? So being in a in a group in society that does get privileges just because of having a certain amount of money, you realize, you know, like when I grew up, I grew up in a pretty stereotypically bad neighborhood with guns, you know, drug, drug activity, prostitutes, and just what you see on TV when they make a bad neighborhood, what it looks like. That's what my neighborhood looked like in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, and if you ask nine out of 10 people in those situations, what would make their life better? They're just going to say money. But how many of you guys know people with a lot of money, and a whole lot of problems still. You see what I mean? So I don't want the people in the underprivileged group to think that once they get a chance to speak for themselves, everything will be fixed. There's still going to be a whole, net, a whole new skill set that comes with having access that's going to have to be acquired over time to make the change sustainable and productive for the following generations. You guys follow? That's one thing I think about. I think on the other side of this moment, the privileged group that's it's, you know, almost passing the baton, if you will. It's like, it's almost like when I was playing in the league, if you guys remember Brian Erlacher, I was his backup. He's a Hall of Fame player. And so there was this time period when he was going to be retiring soon and I was still playing a lot where he was having to teach me his job so that I could carry it on and do what I needed to do. And so there's that little bit of that tension where, you know, they talk about in psychology when you see a privileged group have the, the playing field actually leveled, they feel a sense of injustice because something's being taken from them, it's loss. Um, even though things are being equalized, there's the real sense and that exposure to the feeling of injustice. And so I'm wondering, you know, all these text messages that I'm getting from people on the privileged side, they're like, I wanna do anything I can to help if there's the awareness that there's gonna be a pain associated with that service, a real pain and a real sense of maybe that something's happening to you that you don't like and that is not right. Um, so just dealing with the, you know, the, the emotional stress of that transition, I think is something real. But at the end of the day, I think the hope lies in the last two parts, which is, you know, this idea that there's no systematic transformation without individual transformation, because the systems only reveal the desires of the people. You know, we make things, we make structures and frameworks to support what we want to happen. And so the system is, is messed up, but that's only a roundabout way of saying we are messed up, <laughs> you know? Um, but the good thing is that we have in our faith a built-in plan for that. And that's our faith in Jesus because his whole plan for our lives is not to just love us and have us go be in heaven with him later after we die. He wants to immediately transform us into what he saw in us when he created us. You know, he wants to immediately get to work on that. And the cool thing about that is that 
the things that he wants to create us into for our lives to feel like we're living to the fullest are immediately and directly attached to the needs of other people. You see what I mean? So the way that we create systems, you know, for my life to go the way I want it to, is going to have to cost you something. Or it's going to have to, you're going to have to do without something for me to have all the things I think I need. Um, it's evident specifically in this conversation. I was just talking to a friend earlier this week. She's a, a white woman from South Georgia, and she went to UGA. And in college, her freshman year, she noticed that like a bunch of people were getting, getting flack and backlash for putting Confederate flags in their dorm room windows. And, you know, she didn't really have an opinion on either side, but she just felt like people should be able to put up the flag because that's their Southern pride, you know, symbol. There's nothing racist about it or inherently wrong. So she felt so strongly she went to go and write this almost like an editorial piece for the school paper. Um, and the UGA Journalism School, if you guys don't know, is like that's where the Peabody Award comes from. So this is a big deal. She took on this whole thing, this research on like, is the Confederate flag a big deal? Because in the Georgia state flag is actually a small Confederate flag, like pieced into it. And so she's, you know, going into this project thinking it's going to be this Georgia pride statement. And she realizes that the Confederate flag entered the Georgia flag when the delegates were about to meet from the North and the South to prepare to start having talks about the Constitution. And it says that in these, and these, she's showing me like textbook references where the Southern delegates wouldn't even come to the table if slavery was going to be negotiable. They 100% would not talk about unifying the country unless they could keep hands off of slavery being a thing. That was a system that we started before we even wrote up we the people in anything, they're just like, well, first of all, we have slavery. We're keeping that. What's next? And so I say that just to say that when we're left to our own devices to make up systems, it's in God we trust, but it's dot, dot, dot to help me with what I want to have happen. Do you know what I mean? It's not really trusting his plan. And that's just all of our defaults. And so I think that just at this moment, it's so critical to understand that, that whether we have been active participants or not, we have lived just in how it is. And so we do have to start from the ground up, which is belief systems of, in, of individuals um, to make any progress. But that, again, that's the good news because we can only control our own mess anyway. Why I think that's important, something that I was just alluding to, the third, the third idea is that as believers specifically, we're so much more interconnected than I think we, than we give credit to or we give power to. We have such a great responsibility to, you know, the way that your walk with Christ ends up has a lot to do with my walk. For example, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for two or three men in my life that really took God seriously at an early age, that our paths just so happen to intersect at that right moment. And certainly God can work around any of our, our mistakes. But to make God have to work around the things that we negate or the things that we choose not to do you know, that may, may, it may be a part of some of the undue suffering that we see, I believe. And so I think the way to think about it for me is, you know, I played on teams for a long time. And so teamwork, you know, something we talk about in our house all the time. And teamwork, I think, is great and it's powerful, but it's not quite the same as being one body. I think that there's a really important distinction because you know this better than I do. I'm, you know, there's this idea that as churches, it may be different denominations or even different Calvaries around the world, you know, you can be like, you know, we're teammates trying to achieve a goal, but really we're a single body. And the significance of that shows up, I think, in times in hardship, because a lot of times 
injuries happen, of course, in football. When I saw my teammates get hurt, I felt bad. It definitely affected the team outcome. But at the end of the day, the recovery and the rehab was on the injured person. But when I had an injury to myself, to my own body, the ownership of the rehab process was squarely on me. And so I think that when we see things that are happening, that believers have a part in that's hurting God's plan, we have to understand that that is not somebody else's thing that we can hopefully be a part of making better. That's literally us participating in our own walk, that it will sovereignly somehow intersect with wherever God has the next move for us in our life. So nothing major has been on my mind the last week. <laughs> Just chewing on a few things. <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious. I mean, I, I, where do we start? Um, you mentioned a couple things, so I'm going to pull up what I wrote down. Um, you know, we talk about trying to esteem people better. What we're really talking about is, can we just even be equal? There's a lot of people who are like, I don't feel like I've ever not been equal with people. That's a hard thing for a lot of people. I know, I know a lot of guys struggling with the idea of privilege, just that concept. Could you speak to that some? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's hard because it's a new concept. You know, even for myself, honestly, having people just reach out to me in the last week or two and being like, man, I'm sorry, I'm going to learn everything I can. Just like, so you just now realize that things were not equal. You know, so there's this whole awakening process of like, shoot, maybe there is something that, that is a thing that I wasn't even, I'm just in it. I think it's a real struggle, first of all, to articulate. I was thinking about this earlier today is, you know, like I just said, it's, it's easy to say systems change when the beliefs of the individuals change. Mm -hmm. But how do you know your beliefs? Right. Like, you can meditate as hard as you can, like, a, on any any given subject. But really, it's a moment of friction once you hit the point. I heard somebody said um, just this afternoon, it's like the troubled mind. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna butcher it. I'll get it to you guys later. <laughs> but it's something about when you hit have this like dissonance. Mm -hmm. It's not making sense for you. Mm -hmm. It's really this disconnect between maybe feelings you don't have words for yet, mm -hmm. um, but information that you just received. Mm -hmm. And so it's really going to be a learning process, I think. Okay. But I think the first part is just agreeing that we're all going to actually try to walk this, this way first. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Because this is where, I mean, it's like it's a struggle because if we think scripturally, just as a Christian, we believe that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Maybe a better way of saying that is that all are sinning. Mm. Like we're all guilty. Mm. So systems are broken because people are broken. And the best we can do is keep working, like in this world, the best we can do is keep working to just make it a little better for the next generation, mm. a little bit better for them. But it's almost like, um, like I've struggled with this thing of like people feeling like conflicted between their their citizenship and their heavenly citizenship. When this is our moment to be like, we're first and foremost citizens of God's kingdom. And anyone that's broken and hurting, we should be rushing towards. You know, I mean, like, it's like our bodies were made when we get hurt. Every part of our body rushes to help that part of the body. And you think like, this is our, our shining moment to not just be... American, and there's nothing wrong with being American, but it's our moment to be like, I'm, I am God's child first and foremost. And I see the conflict for a lot of people. What that makes me think of is just the conflict in those two realms for me is 
I have to see myself spiritually as a part of this body that is depending on me to function. Right. You know, if any particular part of my body shuts down, that changes a lot of decisions that I had to make Mm -hmm. about the things that are on my mind. Mm -hmm. You know, whether it's my foot, my kidney, my shoulder, you know, my courses of action are going to edit themselves. And so, but if I'm just thinking about, you know, if my foot was just thinking, I'm just going to be the best left foot possible, mm-hmm. you know, with no regard for the rest of what else it's a part of, mm-hmm. that that's obviously going to lead to breakdowns. And mm-hmm. I think that that's kind of when we take ourselves out of spiritual perspectives too far and it doesn't guide, you know, those like deepest commitments and those deepest, those deepest, um, you know, rhythms and those deepest just senses mm-hmm. and those awarenesses. Right. And we're just bound to to worry about little stuff. We're not and not little right. stuff like life's not important, but I mean stuff that doesn't have that interconnected ripple effect right. that we were created to have. You are listening to Crossing Cultures with Phil Metzger. If this ministry has added value to you and you would like to hear more content, you can subscribe at our Crossing Cultures podcast or visit us online at www.crossingculture.org. If you would like to support us financially. You can do that on our website at www.crossingculture.org. Now let's hop back into our conversation on race and the gospel. So how do, how do people, because right now all these conversations are going to be happening awkward. You know, when I, when I called, I'll just tell you, when I called Nick, to, you know, seeing so many pastors doing this, like they're grabbing their one black friend to have this conversation with, you know, and I thought, man, I don't want to do that. And then I thought, I don't want to not do that. Like, I don't want to miss out on an opportunity for us to get to grow. Because if there's anything we know about our, like, the Bible says that we're going to, like, be learning about the grace of God for eternity. So heaven is a place where we keep growing. That means earth is a place where we're supposed to keep growing. I'm not supposed to reach a level where I'm like, oh, I got it. I'm good. I think that's why we're in the situation we're in. A group of people got to the place where they're like, we're good. And then everybody that wanted to get to there got to there just to sustain that same thing. It's just gone over and over. So how would you help people to navigate conversations right now? It's good, man. Um, Again, I say because we're in uncharted territory, I think. This is not the moment to know everything. Right. You know, this is not the moment to think you're the history expert. Mm. This is not the moment to think that you know what pain is, but that person doesn't. And that, I mean, both sides. Mm-hmm. This is the moment, like you said, to be listening, eyes open, ears open, heart open. Um, because I think that the, again, like I was saying in the beginning, hoping that God will bring the right voices at the right times, mm-hmm. us posturing ourselves to be able to hear, mm-hmm. and then in our own internal work, respond accordingly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that the, li- the listening posture was what it seems like to me right now. Yeah, and it's almost, and you know, we talked about this before too, of like these moments are going to make us all better. Yeah. So this isn't like just revealing that something's broken. It's also revealing like there's hope because we want, I want, I want to have relationships that are better. So somebody sent in a question. Have you ever dealt with anger towards God for the existence of racism? Uh, I I think they're talking to you. Yeah. Personally, no, No, I, I never have because even my wife just today was asking, have you had any personal experiences with, you know, discrimination. And I said, nothing major, but there was one that popped in my head from when I was little. Uh, I was probably seven to nine years old and I was in the store with my brother. And I remember we walked in and there's like, you know, the double doors automatic and we went to the first aisle and my brother's 10 years older than I am. And so he's doing his teenage thing. 
And I was just messing around with stuff on the shelves and putting it up, you know, taking it off, putting it back, trying to make them laugh probably. And we stayed there for, I remember it was a good amount of time, maybe 10, 20 minutes of him trying to pick. He never, he didn't end up choosing anything. And so, you know, we went from that aisle straight and tried to walk back out the door, but we got stopped. And the, you know, this dude ran up like, Hey, hey, hey you know, like, what are you guys doing? And I just remember looking at my brother and seeing him get agitated. Cause you know, this 18, 19 year old black male has, seen these types of questioning processes before by this point. And so he knew what was happening, but I didn't. And they ended up ushering us in the back and they were showing us, you know, video recordings of me messing with stuff on the shelves and being, you know, basically accusing us of shoplifting. And I only told that story to Phil just to, (laughs) to be like, yo, I didn't realize till after I even told that story that the name of that store was American. The name of that store was American. And I was like, whoa, the only story in my life that I can think of is America. So I don't get anger, but like I said, I just, you just have to see what's there. It's almost, it's just one of those things, like the difference between a, a traveler and a tourist, you know, like a tourist, they go to see all the sites, but a traveler just goes and sees what's actually there. I think that this is the moment to just be like, call it what it is so we can move on. Yeah, we call this in like an intercultural language. We say like there's tourists and there's sojourners. There's people who choose to, I'm, I, I'm here and I want to learn. Mm-hmm. Tourists just want to get pictures, eat exotic food. But the sojourner is like, I, I want to engage in this. So we're trying to learn how to navigate relationships, not as tourists, you know, I don't really have any black friends. So when I do, it's like I'm more of a tourist. Mm-hmm. But to have these conversations where I'm like, no, wait, I'm going to dive in a little bit. And it's working the other way yeah. as well, right? So so in your Christian faith, like as a Christian, do you see that, ra- that, those, that same racism in the church? Mm. Do you see it, you know, like, oh, I see it out in the world. I see yeah. it's a problem, but I'm so thankful for the kingdom of God and the Christians, you know. Does that make sense? Well, there's people in the church too now. I mean, we are the church. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was one, it was an NFL coach that got in trouble because he, he said in a quote, you know, I wish the world was like an NFL locker room because there's no racism in the locker room. And everybody was like, excuse me, sir? <laughs> and he's a middle-aged white dude. Yeah. He's yeah. a middle-aged white dude talking about there's no racism. Yeah. You know, and this whole locker room is full of 90% black dudes. Right. So, but it's, anyway, so I think there's no, we're people. Yeah. You know, we're, we're people. Um, and for example, if, if you talk about women in church. Right. You're digging up a whole nother conversation of yep. injustice, discrimination. So those travesties that we create as humans are not unique to black people. I think that that's, like you said, why, why it applies in so many ways, because no matter your color, your experience, your upbringing, mm-hmm. those are the most we can listen. Like, where can I relate to what it feels like to not be treated fairly mm-hmm. just based on that other person's assumptions? Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? So those are the, the things that actually connect us is our pain, mm-hmm. our ability to, to feel the same pain regardless of what brought it on. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where we can actually become closer. I think of that verse where Paul said, comfort others with the comfort with which you've been comforted with by God. It's almost like every one of us has pain. (laughs) No one race has owns pain, right? We all experience pain. And it's almost like if I can harness what I've experienced and then say, okay, Lord, how could this minister now? Because I've, the thing is, is it's hard to, and I think, I love what you said earlier, Nick, like this is the moment, like we can't, 
We can't rush ahead to try to just get solutions right now because there's too much hurt for so many people, and, and rightly so. So any solutions we come up with are going to be kind of pendulum of hurt. It's almost like the, the, the best solutions come from being made whole again, like the healing process. Comfort others with the comfort that you've received from God. One of my favorite books from about a year and a half ago was written by uh, John Perkins. It's called One Blood. If you're a reader, you should get it. It's called One Blood, John Perkins. There's my recommendation. And he really emphasizes the idea of letting church be as intentionally diverse as the people that are there. It's almost like people feel like, oh, now we're just trying to be politically correct. I've never tried to be politically correct in my life in the sense of like, I've never been driven by the political mindset, but being thoughtful to human beings is not a political correctness. So Jesus spoke about this way before that term political correctness. Yeah, How do we combat that thought process? Yeah, it's just, a, it's, I think it's an empathy thing. Yeah. One thing I was thinking about is if you're having trouble or somebody's having trouble just feeling because sometimes I'm not the most empathetic guy. Like I can right. see it and know it's bad, yeah. but it doesn't eat me up, right. you know? Right. And so I was thinking, okay, what if I was to read one of these articles of one of these tragedies and substitute the names for me and my family wow. and see and read it again and really try to let it sink in? You know, Nick Roach was, his neck was knelt on today for eight minutes. He passed away from asphyxiation. He was survived, survived by Anna Marie, Alexandria, Gideon, Olivia, Victoria. You know, like, if that doesn't do something to you and you really try to absorb what's happening out here and you're, and you're still concerned about whether you can say black or African-American or, you know, it's like we're, we are just trying to be exactly what we're created to be. You know, the children, the literal family members that God put here. Um, so that in, in, in each of the individual promises that he has for our lives, the entire picture will work perfectly. Really the opposite, you know, of the things that we tend to create on our own. Somebody asked this question. What's your response to the person who asks, why does or did God allow racism to exist? I think that we have to remember that we should never forget. And this is where the conflict it's where I understand the conflict between my life as a Christian and my existence as an American is it started way earlier. My life as a Christian who is now filled with the Holy Spirit and, and really seeing God work in my life and dealing with the sin that exists in my life, right? I mean, I hope that I'm not the person I was 10 years ago. If I'm in Christ, that's, the, that's where we're going, right? We're going towards being not perfect people, but sanctified people. But we have to remember that in the world that we live in, the world we, and I'm not, this is not about others. I'm talking about the whole thing. Adam sinned and all have sinned since then. We live in a world that has been perverted by sin, which means things exist that should never exist in God's kingdom and will never exist in God's kingdom. But because God loves us so much, he's given us the, the will made in his image to choose him or to not choose him. 
God can't say, I love you, but you will follow me and then make you follow him and then still say, but I love you. But we live in a world that is fallen. And because of that, things like racism exists. Sexism exists. There are, and, and I, you know, like I hear you say that about the eight and a half minutes. I think of all these cases that were, you know, Amud Arbery, it just, it crushed me. And then I thought about the Lord. I mean, I couldn't do it too long because it's like, oh, dang, that's just terrible. All over the world, like we're hearing two injustices. What about what's happening in that like little home in Afghanistan and those high rises in Budapest? If that doesn't crush you, I don't know what will, right? So we live in a world that has fallen. We are being sanctified, but we live in a fallen world. But let me bring this into this kind of a narrative, though. It's a fair question as well. It's like, you didn't experience that really growing up too much. But it's a part of your culture. And does it create a bitterness in you towards God? Again, again, no. Yeah. Um, my, the reason is because, like you said, it's any bad thing. Like, why, why do, essentially, why do bad things exist? You know, and for me, it, it is about that this idea that God set it up so that we had to choose him, mm-hmm. you know, and like there's significance if you think about that. And for example, why it's significant that you chose joy, right. you know, because there are many other women, well, maybe not you, but <laughs> you, there are technically other women on earth that you right. could have chosen. Right. <laughs> but the fact that you right. selected specifically that, you know, what you love about this one person right. makes the relationship significant. Right. You know, God wants that from us. He doesn't, that's why he doesn't force us to to follow him because he's just, you know, he didn't he didn't want to just create that. He wanted us to genuinely look at him and realize why we should be so in love with him and so enamored by what he what he is and how he treats us and how he loves us. Um, so for that reason, if that's the beautiful picture that we have access to, I think that you have to have a reciprocally reciprocally ugly picture, just as a natural consequence. Right. You know, if, if you're going to choose something that's significant, that means that you have to leave things that are not. Choosing things that are beautiful means that you have left things that are not. Um, so when we choose things out of our rejection or lack of awareness of what, what, who, what and who God is, we naturally are left with the things that are not of God, which include abuse, racism, mm-hmm. injustice, sin, just sin of all types. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? I mean, I don't know if that's theologically fine. (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) I I was thinking about this, like, and I've had conversations with with quite a few people in the last couple weeks on who, like many people, there's a whole generation of people that lived through the civil rights movement. White, black, brown, doesn't matter, you know, lived through that season. And they've seen America take great strides in the right direction. And it can be kind of hard to look at right now, like, why is everybody so upset? It's better than it used to be. And it is. It is way better than it was 60 years ago. So how would you say to someone in that situation who's like, I feel like we've come so far, which we have, which I think, you know, rational minds are going to say, yeah, we've definitely come further than slavery, if that was the standard. But why is this important now? That's a great question. And I can understand that. Or not understand. I can imagine that sentiment of, you know, having lived through all the atrocities that took place probably at a more frequent rate, more out in the open and more maybe endorsed and backed by the masses in society. Um, 
but I think it's just really honoring the work that has been done and realizing that just because it, a lot of work was done doesn't mean that anything was finished, you know? And so just doing our part to continue to make sure that the world does truly reflect on earth as it is in heaven, mm-hmm. you know, because if it doesn't look like that, then we still got work to do. Yeah. Somebody wrote this in, this is about sin and not skin. And, uh, I think it's a, it's a kind of a, there's a, there's a double edge to that. It's kind of like a backhanded slap a bit in the sense that it's, it's easy to say all things are sin, but it manifests itself in certain ways, right? So, um, so when we say that, like we have to be careful as Christians to not minimize an issue to, by generalizing it so much. You know, I lie to my wife, I lie to Joy, and then I, and then I come to her and say, oh, honey, I'm, I'm sorry, it's just a sin thing. It's not specific enough to bring healing. So when I, I think we have to be careful that we don't say it's sin, not skin, and make it an excuse, you know, and usually the person saying that has never had a skin issue, right? You haven't had a skin issue, so it's easy to be like, well, biblically, it's a sin thing. There's a reason why we are not saying all lives matter. I want to be clear on this because I I think it's so important. It's a general statement that is 100% true. Every human being matters. Every human being matters. But it is not, it, it is actually the opposite of embracing an empathetic response to hurting people in a moment. And I've heard this analogy, I've heard like 20 analogies used to describe it, you know, so different. The, the, the one that I love so much is like if, if Joy came to me hurting and said, do you love me? And I said, I love all women. <laughs> There's so many problems with that statement. I did nothing to help in that moment. And people are using that phrase as an excuse to still being unsympathetic to people that are hurting in this moment. Oh, but you know, my aunt's hurting and she's not black. I'm so sorry for your aunts. There's a moment that we're in nationally that you should, I I have no problem. I've said it and I've been beat up and I'm so happy to. Black lives matter. That's not a movement or a political statement. You matter. Your, your wife matters more to me. But, you know, we know that, right? Do you understand what I'm trying to say here? Do not get sucked into the political concepts and movement ideas that people want. To say that means you're a part of a movement. No, it doesn't. It's okay to look at my friend and to say, dude, I am sorry for what's happening. We have to not use Christian kind of generic statements thinking we've like just dropped the gavel on the conversation. Somebody says black lives matter. And I say, well, all lives matter. Boom, mic drop. It's not helping bring healing. And I'm supposed to, to the Jew, become a Jew. To the weak, I become weak. So as to reach that person, we have to be clear as Christians. Now, if all of that bothers you, here's what I would say. And I'm not thinking it probably doesn't bother any of you, but if any of you or your friends are bothered by that, you have to stop and think, am I thinking too much like an American and not like a Christian? Because as a Christian, it's okay to say these things because I, I want to value human beings. 
You got something to say to yeah, that? I think, I mean, it's, it's so true. It's almost like, you know, the the victim in a particular crime needs to say what happened to them the right way yeah. to get any type of attention for the justice that's required. Right. You know, so you have to present your case properly for me to feel bad for you to be able to help you to do something. You know, it's, just, it's just like, it's just really a twist of the conversation. Um, it's, it's not productive, obviously. Um, and I think it's it's just, th- that's what I meant in the beginning, talking about conversations, a listening posture. That's not listening. You know, if you think that I'm talking about amplifying a skin color, then we're just, that's a complete miss of what the conversation is even about. You're listening to Crossing Cultures with Phil Metzger. If this ministry has added value to you and you would like to hear more content, you can subscribe to our Crossing Cultures podcast or visit us online at crossingculture.org or philmetzger.com. We would love to send you a copy of Jeremy and Aidy Camp's book on marriage titled In Unison for your gift of $10 or more. You can do that on our website at crossingculture.org or philmetzger.com. Now let's hop back into our conversation on race and the gospel. Somebody asked, how did you get out of your circumstance? You, you said you grew up in the like, stereotypical hood. How did you get out? Uh, so my and what case, does it even mean to get out? Because we talked about yeah, that. Yeah, get out. So that's, fun. that's a good question. I've never put words to it, but essentially it means get into a safer neighborhood and make money. This is what get out means, literally. <laughs> but um, I got out through sports, essentially. It wasn't planned, but my mom was really big on education because Milwaukee uh, public schools are, are some of the worst in the country and in some of the most dangerous neighborhoods in the country. And so she sent us to a private school so we could actually get an education. Mm. And then through that, you know, I started playing sports and ended up getting a scholarship to Northwestern, which was another, a whole another cool diversity, like, you know, bomb in my life of going to a school with that many international students and such a high level private school, um, but still playing football. And so I think I got out in, in one of the ways that you always hear, like on TV, you have to be an entertainer mm. or you have to be an athlete. And I ended up being an athlete. That's um, so how I got up. I remember you, t- you told me your mom said you can either go get a job or go play sports. Right. And to end <laughs> that, you're not just going to wear out my couch. That's what she said. So. Get to work or, yeah, just get out. Go do something. And I think, too, Phil, I wanted to touch back yeah, on please. what you were asking about that Black Lives Matter and, you know, this way to skirt spiritual accountability almost. It's like. This thought crossed my mind, and I, I know it's, pro- it's probably going to sound a little rough, but I, f- I feel like it genuinely has a, a place in this moment where, you know, I got this tattoo recently, and it just it's a lion defeating a snake about to give the death blow to a snake. So it signifies, in my mind, the victory. It's a reminder of the victory that we already have. You know, like Jesus is delivering the death blow to the enemy, and we just need to be able to live our lives in victory. And so I'm thinking... We're victorious. We can proclaim that. And so our life is not about trying to win. Our effort is not for, for trying to overcome necessarily. Um, but if we are already victorious, why don't we feel like we're winning as a church? You know? And so I'm like, thought keeps going. Jesus already said that even the gates of hell won't overcome the church. He's the head of the body. So who is responsible for the malfunctions? We're, we're the only ones left in the equation. Exactly. Hell cannot beat us when we activate into our power source. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? Oh, we have not lost. We cannot lose. We can't even show up and play bad enough to lose. Mm-hmm. 
It's literally just about participating in what's been set up for us. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. So we, we aren't the problem. I am the issue. I am 100% the issue. Nobody else to blame. Devil's done. Jesus is Jesus. You see what I'm saying? We're so victory. Yeah. So anything that you see in the body that's not working right, it's about this this idea that you know sin is it's not skin. Like if if you're worried about the semantics of how I tell you there's an issue that we are a part of being the answer for, that's exactly why we have a problem. I was reading this to um, one of my favorite like theologians who is a part of a movement they call it's called liberation theology, and it's really really great stuff. And his name is Esau McCulley. And he wrote this, he teaches it. I think it's at, he's at Wheaton. He said, do people honestly believe that thousands of Bible believing black Christians running around saying black lives matter are card carrying members of the BLM organization, or are we simply making a theologically true statement? And he goes on to say, the idea of saying or of believing that a black life matters came from God and some organizations stole it and is using it for their movement. But we own that. I think there's so many things that are in the world that like we own first, you know, that it's ours. And then we kind of don't value it. It's user error. And then it gets kind of taken up by somebody else in a kind of an ungodly way. But we own those things in the beginning. Somebody, uh, just sticking to this, somebody asked the question like, yes, black lives matter and they should and have, and they should always matter. The organization is not what they seem to be. And I believe America is reaping what they have sown when it comes to these issues. You know, I think that I don't, I'm not sure if there's a the question in there, but the statement is, you know, again, we just want to remember, we don't speak for an organization don't want to speak for an organization, not a part of an organization. I'm not a part of any organization. Uh, we are citizens and ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And when I'm saying we, I'm not thinking of me and Nick. I'm thinking of you too. You are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. You've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. I love what you just said on that. Like, we already have victory in Christ. We, we just need to move in obedience. So don't get hung up on organizations. And because movements will come and movements will go. But the value of human life is, is always, that's always God's heart. Right? I think too, just touching us on the idea of, you know, being weary of something that maybe isn't what it purports itself to be. I mean, I get that. I mean, I definitely get that. Just, you know, not trusting anything at face value, especially these like highly political, politically charged, um, ideas. But also, again, if it, if you're finding yourself, if we're finding ourselves spinning so much about something that doesn't sit with us necessarily perfectly spiritually that we do nothing, then we are probably having an error in our processing. Right. Do you see what I mean? If it doesn't spin me up to try to get to do an activity that's more true than what I'm seeing, then yeah. if it's just spinning me back to sitting and wearing out my mom's couch. And your mom doesn't want you uh, back yeah, on the I, couch. I have, been, yeah. I have been knocked out of the game. Right. Do you see what I mean? So, yes, you can be 100% certain that everybody in this building is not offering probably what they show everybody in public. Does that mean you don't come to this building anymore and you don't trust Phil anymore? Maybe. But is that helping you in what you feel like God is asking you to do with your life? 
And you you have to answer that. It's, it's very personal, the systematic adjustments that are going to need to happen for the rest of eternity, by the way. Exactly. It's that, that's heaven preparation. Because right. for all of eternity, we will be learning. That, that says it yeah. all. We, we have to keep learning. Like, how could we ever assume to get something now and then, one day, and then be excited about a heaven that we won't like <laughs> if you don't want to learn now? You know, we have to be okay with like, isn't it like so much easier to just start on the premise that the Bible already says that we're all guilty? If you just start there, you don't have to try to validate yourself. Oh, but, and become defensive. And I, I didn't mean this and I don't mean, it's like, it's okay to just be like, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Yeah, it's like, I think, you know, you can easily look at something and be like, well, I don't trust that. You know, I'm not yeah. going near that. But you could also look at something and say, I may not 100% trust it, but where's the truth of God in it? that I can get behind or maybe I don't have to be a part of it or whatever you want to say, join anything, but just, okay. I can definitely see that something that is true about what God wants to do here is happening there mm. or is being said there. And then how can I apply it again to wherever I feel led to? Mm. You know, we're, we're like spending the last few weeks just talking about love on Sunday mornings and, you know, I didn't plan to be there right now in these moments, but I think the Lord knew what he was doing in that. And, you know, it's like, I had somebody, you know, I had somebody kind of, I think they were thinking it would like make me sad or whatever. And they, not from here, but like somebody else saying to me, like, you're just trying to be a social justice warrior now, you know, like that's the new, they said SJW. I was like, I don't need JW. I'm not a JW. Like I'm, and then I didn't know what they meant. Yeah. So I had to get it stinks when somebody insults you and you have to get clarification on what it means, right? And uh, it's like, I'm sorry, I didn't get the, I didn't get the term. And you know, and the, and the, and the, their, 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 their period mark in this was this: just preach the gospel and teach the Bible. And my response to them was, that's exactly what I'm doing. The value of human life is God became a man to reach humanity. That's the gospel. How in the world? I mean, if Jesus is the original justice warrior, if you want to call it like that, right? I mean, it, it, it's insanity to me. Like, if my Christianity cannot move beyond the walls of a building, then I don't believe what I say I believe. Period. I can't. Oh, what a great message. But then, you know, I will never. Like, you, we are so infected with our national identity and our Christian identity it's a split personality rather than, than letting your Christian faith overwhelm your national identity. We have got to let that happen. And by the way, I've been, I, I, this is not something that I'm just stepping into. I am stepping into this when it comes to the issue of race. But when it comes to, I mean, we spent 20 years learning how to reach people who think different than I, and I, I want to introduce you to the rest of your life. That's the rest of your life. People don't think the way you do. Oh, but we're all Americans. Doesn't work like that. By the way, most of them probably aren't near you. How many of us identify on so many different cultural levels? We have got, if, if, the, if what we learn on Sunday morning doesn't work in my relationships with my friends, something's broken. And I love what you said on there. It's me. Something's broken in me. 
And it's so easy to accept that when you accept the Bible. It's hard to accept that when you accept the idealism of an American dream. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we're all broken. America says you can be whatever you want. That's a great dream. No problem with that. But the Bible says you're broken and going to hell. Those two things are conflicting. And you got to just accept, we got to accept the one that is true. So um, we're, I want to be done here. Um, not because I want to be done talking to you, but whatever. We did call and match. We tried to match. No, we didn't. But um, I think I just want to touch yeah, on that please, real yeah, fast. Please say it, but then I'll just read the this idea question, of, yeah. you know, I guess not not talking about social justice so you can preach the gospel. And it's like, yeah. what was the gospel besides activity? Yeah. You know, like the good news was that someone did something to change what was happening or to change a potential outcome. Yeah. You know, so I'm just like, there's no disconnect, I believe, but between interjecting yourself in a situation that's not going the way it should be, that is the central So it's the other way the, around. Again, it's yeah. seeing it as like, I'm not jumping on a social issue. The gospel is correcting, you know, like it says in the kid books, like making all the unhappy things or making all the sad things untrue. Like mm. that's what the gospel literally is, putting yourself in the story. And flip in the end. And I, I think and we can I want to make sure you any last thoughts you want to have. Um, you know, I like I look at all these all your little kids, sweetest little babies in the whole world. And I think like what what would I want them like as a as a as a person who's gonna be a different color than they are, as they look at me, what do I want them to see? Like what do I want them when they're running around in our playground and you know, just being all cute. What do you, like when they look at, not not the other kids, because that works out, because kids are amazing. But when they see somebody in authority, what do I want them to, you know, like I'm trying to, like I want to be that Christian that they could look at and say like, I had people who treated me, you know, hopefully it'll never happen in their lifetime, but but the the church, the Christians, Man, I, I didn't even, like, I would love it if your kids grew up, like, I never knew those things. That's the kind of church we should want to be, right? Where, like, it's so about Jesus that it's not, we're not, I, we're not ignoring race. I think that's a huge problem. Like, I'm colorblind. No, you're not. You might, I mean, you might be, but he's black and I'm white. And the acknowledging of that is our respect, when I just say, oh, I'm colorblind, I'm not acknowledging a big part of who you are, but you're more than just that, right? So how do you, you know, you got all, you got all these, I mean, five and counting, I guess. I don't know. I don't know where we're at with that. But, <laughs> and where he's going to kill me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but what are, what are your hopes? Like when, like we got all these little kids running around, beautiful little Filipino kids and white kids and Mexican kids and, and black kids and What's your hope for them as we want to leave something better than what we got it as? That's a big question. And yeah. I think that that's something, honestly, that we spend a lot, a lot of time talking about and thinking about in our house because, you know, like Anna Marie's mixed. And so our kids are half black, they're Filipino and they're white, you know? So essentially what all that we try to infuse to them is just this idea of kind of everything we've been talking about tonight. Like there's, there's literally something in them that God wants to say to the world. 
and only he can show it to only he can show them what that is and to who it is to whom it is um but we just want them to understand that as fast as you can learn to hear what god is telling you and learn to trust him enough and have enough courage to go and do it and that's you know that's that's literally it because the fact of the matter is i believe you know when it talks about what is in the old testament when it says like his ways are higher than our ways like as high as their heavens are from the earth, it's like how how differently God is from us. I, I have to believe that, like, my kids are closer to being on my level of understanding than I am to being on God's level of understanding. Right. See what I'm saying? So I really don't want to detach the message I tell from my kids is too far from what I'm saying to, saying to myself. Mm-hmm. And it's really just about, man, what does God's voice actually sound like to you in your life? And what do you feel like is, what's the next thing that it's actually telling you? What's the next conversation he's asking you to have? Or the next thing he's asking you to learn or to leave or to start or to stop? And it's literally that step by step by step. And you get to learn the clarity of his voice, the loving, you know, the lovingness of his voice, like the healing power of his voice. And you'll see along the way, I think it's a book by Christine Kane called Unstoppable. Where she talks about like your journey of, you know, the church word sanctification, but like your journey of God making you who he wants you to be is inevitably intersected with the needs of those he wants you to serve. And so you don't have to even worry about, oh, what am I going to devote my life to? To hearing what God asks you to do is the the answer. And then he will guide all of those minute decisions about where you need, where you are helpful, where you're used, where you're needed. Um, because he has set it up. Um, and even to go a level deeper, I would say specifically for us as adults, once we know our weaknesses, to truly activate in that part. Because there's something that I've noticed over the years. I, just, I do leadership coaching when I'm not at home with the kids doing dishes. and But there's something about us as people. You know, like once we really get a good grip of like how we're helpful, like you know you're a communicator. You know, you're a servant and all these things. There's also something deep down inside of us, deep down inside of every one of us, that works directly against that thing that we just know that God really wants us to do or asks us to be like. And once we can learn to not run away from those weaknesses and really let God's strength be perfect there, then not only will we see the effect that he wants us to have, but we'll also be able to see the supernatural take place. And we'll actually be able to have our minds blown because we know we didn't feel good about that spot in our lives mm-hmm. and God still did something through us. Mm-hmm. So we know 100% that God is real. He is powerful. He is active, alive and working in the part where I don't even feel good about myself. Mm-hmm. You know, Made strong in our weakness. So, you know, and that's... So for our kids, that's what I hope. Wow. Thank you for listening to Crossing Cultures with Phil Metzger. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more content, you can subscribe to our podcast, Crossing Cultures. Visit us at crossingculture.org, or you can connect with us on social media. If you live in San Diego, we would love to see you in person. Calvary San Diego meets on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. You can find our address at www.calvarysd.com. We're a new show, and we would love to hear from you. Would you leave us a voice message at 619-500-4772? Again, that's 619-500-4772. And let us know how this show is reaching you. 
and pray about supporting the ministry of Crossing Cultures in prayer and financially as we seek to connect to those who may live, believe, or think differently than we do for the sake of the gospel. Visit us at crossingculture.org. Thank you for being with us, and we hope you join us next week on Crossing Cultures.